Hello, and welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast, the only show that allows you to learn Columbus through the lives of its leaders. And for those of you who don't know what we're about, we bring guests from around the city that are leading in their respective fields and interview them about their lives and how they got to where they are today. And this week we have Dr. Anoop Kanodia joining us. And Dr. Anoop spent time at Harvard as well as the Mayo Clinic. He's got a lot of great insights and he's a specialist in functional medicine. So we think you guys will definitely enjoy this episode. We hope you learn a lot. But before we get into that interview, we've got to take a quick moment to thank some of our sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. Headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio, one of our sponsors, Social Ventures. They offer resources, programs, and accelerators in social enterprise, and they act as a primary network for social enterprise activity in central Ohio. You can learn more at socialventurescbus.com. That's socialventurescbus.com. And our next sponsor is FMX. FMX is a computerized maintenance management system that helps organizations accelerate their operational success. And FMX enables you to streamline processes, increase asset productivity, and turn actionable insights into meaningful results. If you'd like to learn more, check them out at their website, gofmx.com. That's G-O-F-M-X.com. And our last sponsor is the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is a local nonprofit that's committed to helping their partners build upon their strengths they turn visions of what if into sustainable resources for the community. All right, Conquerors, that's all we got for today. Let's jump into the interview. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today, we are excited to have Dr. Anoop Kanodia on the show. And Dr. Anoop is a graduate of the Northeastern Ohio Medical University, having a residency in family medicine at the Mayo Clinic, as well as a fellowship at Harvard in alternative and integrative medicine. He also has a master's in public health from Harvard and is currently practicing medicine in Columbus. We are excited to have Dr. Kanodia on the show today to discuss the COVID-19 strategy here in Ohio and clear up some of the myths and misconceptions around the virus, amongst other things. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, doctor. Thank you. So one of the places, you know, I want to get more into what we're doing in Ohio right now and we can talk, dive deeper into the numbers. We kind yeah. of like to start for some background on our guests. We, we get a little bit more detailed into their life and, and how they got to where they are today in the beginning. Sweet. Um, so when we're talking about milestones along the way, looking at childhood, going into undergrad, and then getting into med school. Yeah. Um, what are the major ones for you that stick out? And kind of take us through those and how your journey unfolded up until you first started practicing medicine on your own. Yeah. So I think a couple of my aunts and uncles are in medicine. My dad's an engineer. My mom worked in a jewelry store. So I saw what they were, I saw my dad 
So he was an engineer, so he would help cities get electricity. So he helped a whole city. That's cool. But I thought the doctor's helping one-on-one. So my dad never saw the true benefit of someone smiling saying, I feel better. You know, my uncles and aunts said, yes, our day was, you know, rewarding. So I thought that was appealing to me, rather than, rather than one-to-many, one-to-one to some degree. And you were here in Columbus, Ohio? I was born and raised up in Akron. So same as a LeBron, a Steph Curry. I can go on. I'm, <laughs> I'm a big homer of, of um, OSU, but, you know, born and raised so in, in Akron. After Boston came back to Columbus, just you know, I was like, okay, I'm done with East Coast, West Coast. I don't come back home. I uh, helped deliver my first baby at, at, in eighth grade. Yeah, and uh, I was able to, to shadow an OBGYN, and he helped, helped, helped me catch a baby. And uh, I did a lot of volunteer work in high school. I was like, yeah, this is what I really want. And then that, 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 the, the, the school that Amy Acton went to, the Neomed, out of high school, you get into med school. So it's a, it's a guaranteed program, so it's great. So I was enjoying it, but uh, actually since, since we're talking about um, entrepreneurs here, I took a year off med school. And I started up a, a internet company. This is in the 99-2000. And, but it was interesting. I was working the, you know, the normal 15-hour days, whatever. And I was like, do I want my life to be about the business or do I really love the people part? I said, I really love the people part, so I went back to med school. But this is one of the turning points about how I practice medicine. And, and, and there's different parts of, of, of entrepreneurship or how we do things, is, is how do we view the world. This was a um, second year, kind of embarrassing story. I uh, met this girl, right? She had, she, had, she had some illness. I was like, oh, you know, I'm a med student. I'll help her get better. And so I, tried to, I talked to this, the smartest guy in my class. And I was like, how do we help her? And he's like, you know, only about 10% of her illnesses we actually have cures for in this country. Yeah, it's shocking when you think about that. Most of the things that we do, we help, maybe help it, but it doesn't cure it. Like diabetes, we give a medicine that maybe lower it, but it doesn't cure diabetes. Or blood pressure, give a medicine. So I was like, okay, I wanna learn cures. You know, there's gotta be an answer for this. And this goes back to, to one of my fundamental beliefs. It comes from Aristotle. Aristotle says, all human problems have been solved 10 times over. It's your job to find the solution. So that's my fundamental belief. There's a solution out there, I gotta find. So I heard about alternative medicine in med school. I joined those clubs and this is what I want. Was to combine the best of conventional medicine plus the things that we don't learn in medical school that maybe also help. So then I said, okay, I'm gonna leave the Akron area. And, and I went out to like the Mayo Clinic the number two hospital in the country. I learned the best medical care, MD side, but I still didn't know how to get people healthy. Then, then you go to Harvard and you learn alternative medicine and work with one of the leaders of the, the alternative medicine field, his name is Mark Hyman, and this is called functional medicine. I was like, oh my God, this type of model actually helps people feel better, resolves the diabetes, resolves the blood pressure, resolves autoimmune. So can you define functional and alternative medicine? Sure. There's just two separate things. Um, alternative medicine is different than what's practiced in conventional medicine. So that might be replacing turmeric with aspirin. Integrative medicine is saying, I'm going to give you turmeric plus acupuncture. Functional medicine is completely different in this regard. 
conventional medicine is based off of Descartes, 1786 around there. And Descartes said anything complex should be broken up to parts. So if we have a heart, you can analyze a heart without the lungs. You can analyze the lungs without the kidney. In 1999, they had, a, they had a proof, a mathematical proof, that showed that that's not true out of Harvard. They showed that the parts do not equal the whole. The whole is actually greater than the parts. So that to really figure out why someone has this illness and really help them, you need to ask questions, do lab tests, and treat all the cells in the body. It sounds like that sounds so common sense, but that's not the way medicine was practiced and isn't practiced. So functional medicine, so that's what I do now, and I love it because, because I ask questions of the whole body. Therefore, then, you, and you, you do lab tests and you treat the whole body, you have a much better chance of finding out why they're sick and, and giving them a great treatment plan. So without diverting from medicine too much, but while we're on the, the Harvard point of your life, uh, maybe touch a little bit deeper into what that environment was like and what it was like to study around people who are at the top of their field. So that was the first time that I said, wow, these people are smart. I, I, I was getting a run for my money at Harvard. I mean, these people were really smart. I'll give you just a, a story. So I, I uh, did my a public health school at Harvard, right? And um, you know how we have a, a secretary of health or the surgeon general. So in most countries, it's called the prime minister or the minister of health. So at Harvard, they had 38 countries were there, all of them being trained to be ministers of health. It was just awesome. So when you talk about nuclear issues or Chernobyl, someone raises their hand, I was there, or, or I'm in that area of the country or the world. Or someone's talking about Europe, South America. It was awesome. Same things if you're taking like a class or whatever. They're the world leaders in that, ex, in that field. So it, it was like, wow. It, you learn so much. And, I, and, and do I miss the academics? I do. It was the amount of lectures, things that were there. It was awesome. I guess my question from there is, because you're talking about your public health studies, how does public health differ from, say, and I guess there's, there's some obvious things, but there's also some not so obvious things, I'm guessing, between medicine and public health. It's, it's, it's a great question. I didn't really understand that until I actually got a public health degree. I thought, oh, you know, I know public health. We, you know, we had a class in med school, right? Medicine teaches me how to help the person in front of me. Public health teaches me how to help everyone in Columbus or everyone in the state of Ohio. So I think there's a difference between a CEO of a company that's, that's, that's taking care of the whole company mm-hmm. rather than your direct report or, or your boss. Right. And, you know, it, it occurs to me now that, you know, when you look at those differences, a lot of the friction that people have right now is, well, it's not going to affect me, right? I'm young. I'm fine. This is going to be okay. But they're not thinking from a public health perspective when we look at some of the restrictions that are in place currently in Ohio and things like that. I mean, you know, from a public health perspective, right, it all adds up and you, you say, okay, look, if we want to protect the public, we're going to have to restrict individuals, even if maybe I'm not at risk. Right. So it's how do you keep the all Ohioans safe? Or how do you keep all the Columbans safe? A Columbus Knights, whatever you want to call us, you know? And so that's the big picture. Or the whole U.S., etc. So breaking it down to, obviously, we're going through this COVID pandemic present day as we're, as we're doing the recording and 
keep hearing things like wash your hands and practice social distancing, but how else can we keep ourselves as healthy as possible? And when you're looking at things from the public health perspective, right. for example, um, I'm assuming that you're taking the sum is greater than its parts approach. Absolutely. So how does that apply? So the number one thing is our mindset, our mind alignment. I've been saying to my staff, to my patients, is number one, this can-do attitude that we're going to get through this. If we have that, that helps us with, with the day-to-day crap we hear on TV or watch, etc. So I think that's number one is how we're looking at these things. When we're looking at this also, do we look at this as, oh my God, an obstacle or an opportunity? This is the first time that two things have happened in the last hundred years. One, everyone's focused on their health. Number two, we have time to actually do something about our health. Those two things have not happened in the last hundred years. So that's an opportunity, you know, which is awesome. In terms of other things about mindset, is it's interesting what stress is. One definition I like is unmet expectations. So if I have expectations and I expect that I should be, I'm healthy, I should be able to work, I should be able to do those things, that's my expectation, it's gonna be stressful. But if I say, okay, I'm I'm gonna take the expectations out. What can I do today? What do I have control over? That helps a lot with health, above and beyond hand washing and social distancing. Let's take, let's zoom back for a second. There's different phases of this pandemic. Phase one was, oh my God, is this real or is this fake? That was early March, right? You guys are all, we all know that there was gonna be basketball games for the NCAA and the governor canceled them, right? And we're like, really, what's going on, you know? And then it became more real and real real. But it took us a while to actually realize what's going on. Now it's set in. Now we're on phase two. And phase two is, okay, there is something going on. How do we survive or even thrive in this? And the mindset goes to the emotional part. For many people, it's very depressing to be inside all the time. Many people, it's very stressful or anxious to lose their jobs, to not not have income coming in not hang out with their friends. So for instance, I'm just driving here, and I'm on, what, Goodale? And uh, the car next to me was my buddy. I haven't seen him in about three to four months because we, you know, we can't get a dinner together, right? And, and so, so, I mean, that's phase two, is how do we now thrive in the situation? But mindset is so key. Um, Please. Sure. I mean, I was going to say just from personal experience, right? I'm very much a people person. Yeah. So this whole thing has been, it's been rough on, you know, the, the emotional and mental toll of not seeing people every day and communicating and having that social interaction is something that if you don't seek out going outside or Zoom meetings with your friends or ways to fill that, it definitely gets depressing and, and dreary. Absolutely. And, and I think it's really taking action. If you feel that way, making an effort to Zoom meetings, make an effort to those things really help. So as phase one is, is beginning to unfold and you're sitting back and watching the news and, and all the events turn out, yeah. what's going through with your experience and your back, what's going through your mind and, and what actions are you taking during that yeah. period? So probably early March or whatever, I realized that this was serious. 
So, and I wasn't doing much social media, but I have been uh, educating my friends, my family, my patients a lot. So I've been doing a lot of Facebook Lives, a lot of webinars, you know, one, two, three times a week to really help people, one, understand what's going on and what things can they do for their health in addition to hand washing and uh, physical distancing. I love this idea of physical distancing different than social distancing because like, we can still be social on Zoom, mm-hmm. still be social in many different ways. And so also on the whole survival stuff, right, in terms of do you have enough water in the house, lights, food, the basics, you know? And um, so we've been really working on the basics, plus and plus and, you know, there's the advanced things to do too that I've been doing for myself and my family and my friends um, from the functional medicine, the overall health side of it, from nutrition to supplements to exercise, even IVs and ozone, sleep. All those things make such a huge difference in our experience with the pandemic. And if we get it, do we recover? Or are we one of the people that get hospitalized? And you mentioned supplements, and we've actually got yeah. a few right here on the uh, table. You want to tell us a little more about maybe some of the items you brought today? Sure. Um, I've been looking at the research from China, Italy, Europe, and America. One of the things that we, we've been finding is that people have a lot of inflammation in their body. Our body tries to attack this infection, but it overattacks it. And so then when it overattacks it, you have too much inflammation, which then hurts the lungs. So we hear about this uh, ventilators and the other things that we wouldn't have enough of. So one thing that we're using is just balancing out the immune system from an inflammation standpoint. That's called SPM Active. And um, if people go to my website, mm-hmm. they can get a handout for all the supplements listed there. So that's kind of cool. Um, next is there's different good bacteria for different parts of the body. We call it probiotics. Mm-hmm. There's actually probiotics for the, for the nose, sinuses, throat, and lungs. So we actually give that to people. And, and that's important because a new study came out that most times the coronavirus stays in our throat. If we're healthy enough, we kill it and it's gone. If not, it goes to our lungs and causes shortness of breath, those other symptoms, then you may get hospitalized, yada, yada, yada. So, so if we can keep enough good bacteria, the virus hopefully will not get from our, our throat to down to our lungs. Next, we, we hear about vitamin C, vitamin D, those are important, zinc. Those are all raw materials. So we think about a gun, a bullet. You got the gunpowder, right? And then can the body make a bullet? You actually can give people the bullets. They're called immunoglobulins. So then you, so I'm taking my, the immunoglobulins myself. So, so rather than giving raw materials, I have the end product. And we call that gut balance, but that's been great. The last thing has been, um, we're finding that the liver is being affected by a lot of these people. So we have a, a liver supplement called Gluteclear that we're using. And the way I practice medicine Many of the entrepreneurs here probably heard of Tim Ferriss, the four-hour work week, right? Mm-hmm. Tim probably had that out in 2006, 2007 time. 
I've got a funny story about Tim Ferriss if you guys want to hear it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So I'm back at Harvard, right? And uh, this is the crash of 08, 09 time. Okay? Yep. So we're working on a grant, a $5 million grant, and to do research at Harvard for functional medicine. The crash happened. Mm-hmm. So one of the guys that was going to give us money said, I'm out. So we're like, crap. He was give us $5 million to do research. Now we have zero. So I was like, well, who did not lose money, right, at that point? It was Tim Ferriss, Mark Cuban, some of those people. If you go back to the, you know, they said, like, they didn't put their money in the stock market. Yeah. So I figured out a way to contact Tim. So I was doing, I was doing my, my interviews for jobs at that point because, like, you know, it wasn't certain for um, a, uh, a job back at Harvard. Uh, I'm up in Cleveland, you know, with my buddies at a bar. I finish, up, I finish my interview, not during the interview, afterwards, of course, and uh, I get a phone call, and uh, he's like, I get a phone call, I don't know numbers, he said, he's, he's like, hi, this is Tim. I'm like, Tim who? Tim Ferris? Tim Ferris who? And yeah, I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, who thinks that someone's going to call you out of the blue, right? <laughs> and he's like, Tim Ferris, you emailed me, I'm the guy from the forum, I work with I said, oh, Tim, yeah, let me step out. So I talked to him for a bit. <laughs> But he was looking for a for-profit thing, not a non-for-profit research. That's kind of funny. Hey there, Conkers. We want to take a quick moment to talk about one of our sponsors, Studio 301. Kyle and his team have helped us redesign our website, taking the podcast in a new direction that we truly love. And we have some incredible guests here on the show. And Studio 301 has given us a website that reflects the caliber of the people that join us. And the Studio 301 team can help you with everything from brand strategy and redesigns to market research, videography, social media overhauls, and a whole lot more. You can go check them out at studio301.org. That's studio301.org. And you were, you were saying something. Where did we go before we started the Tim Ferriss exactly. aspect? We were, talking about, we were talking about supplements. and Okay, so, so you're talking about inflammation. Oh, that's right. um, from that standpoint, how important is it to stay active and work out? Because from my very ignorant medical knowledge, okay. um, working out and being fit helps reduce inflammation, correct? So yes and no. And that's why I love the podcast so much, because we get to get a deeper dive than a two-minute segment. So... We work on sleep first. And if, and if you're having supplements, right? Supplements are easy to do. Sleep is easy to do. So we have people wake up rested. Each person's different. So let's say all of us in this room sleep at midnight. You might set your alarm for six. And, but, but if you get up with an alarm clock, that means you did not get enough sleep. So I ask patients, when do they wake up naturally? If they say seven or eight, then they actually need an hour or two more sleep. So the first thing you have to do before exercise is getting enough sleep. The second part of exercise is how much exercise can you do? You feel better right away and two or three hours later. It's important exercise, but we're finding a lot of people now who are doing, let's say, CrossFit and other things. They feel good 20 minutes later, but then, they, but then they're tired the rest of the day. That's over-exercising. And that lowers the immune system. So you need to do things in the right order. And you need to do things based on what your body is saying not overdoing it. Other things are probably critical exercise is, to, is if you can do it outside. Sunlight has been very beneficial for health. So I always recommend exercise outside. And ideally, if you're getting to sleep in order, get other things in order, probably at least an hour a day. New study just came out. I don't know if you guys saw that on, on the number of steps that we take a day. 
I don't know if you saw that. No. Big national study. I think the average American, and don't quote me, make it like 5,000 steps or something. They compared people with, with 4,000 steps versus, versus I think, 8,000 steps. They had a decreased risk of death, all illnesses, by 56%. Just by, and that's really four, six, 8,000 steps might be around two or three miles a day of walking. It didn't even matter how hard you exercised. And all iPhones and probably Androids have a health app which tracks your steps. And yeah, you can, you can get a pedometer, you, you can get the different apps. But exercise is critical. And do you have recommendations around uh, techniques for getting a good night's sleep? I mean, everybody seems to realize these days from the awareness about it, about how important it is. Yep. But it's very difficult to master that, especially from person to person. Well, um, I love sleep quality. That's one of my, because we work so much on that, because we do sleep is the first thing that we do. When people are tired, they can't exercise. They can't eat right. They're more likely to be depressed, anxious, da-da-da-da. But when you get enough sleep, holy crap, game changer, right? So the way we talk about it is a couple things. One is we say second wind, meaning most people feel tired between 9 and 10. That's the time to go to bed. If you don't, you mostly get a second wind. You get an adrenaline surge. That's cortisol. That's going to keep you up for two or three hours. But that causes you to age and lowers your immune system. So number one is the right timing of bed. Number two, we're talking about different things that are stopping us from sleeping. Three different things. The blue light, our mind thinking, tight neck, tight shoulders. The three biggest things we have found. So I'll go into this if you guys want. So about 128 years ago, someone invented the, the, the light bulb, right? Thomas Edison. I, just, I just saw that movie recently. That was a good movie. It's called Current Wars. Huh. Great movie. It was Thomas Edison versus the Westinghouse. I never really understood the history of all that happened, um, but great movie. Before 128 years ago, we had candlelight. Candlelight, if you ever light a candle, it's more yellow in color. Versus the lights of the room are more white in color. Yellow versus white on the, on the color wheel is blue. So to make this, there's more blue in there than the candle. And what happens? Whenever you have blue light, you stop melatonin from being produced, which is our sleeping hormone, which also helps, has all these other effects on the body. So... The easiest thing is half an hour to an hour before bed, shut off electronics, they all have that blue light, and have candles. So just make your natural hormone. There's special light bulbs like low blue lights, other things that you can do, biohacks to actually, which I have in my house, special light bulbs that I, that, that, that I use at night. Glasses you can wear that blocks out the blue light. Your iPhone has, has, a, has a nighttime mode. You know, your, your computer can have a free nighttime mode type of things. So that's number one. Number two, we call it sleep writing. If people want paper handouts of this, contact the office. We can email them some, some handouts. But we find that people have, their brain is thinking, you know, you know we'll call it monkey mind. Over 15 minutes. Meaning that you're tired, you put your head down. You should fall asleep about 15 minutes later. 
many of my patients fall asleep half an hour, hour. I had a patient today who took three hours to fall asleep on average. Their mind is thinking. I'll ask them, is your mind thinking? Yes. So something simple, grab a notebook, write down all of your thoughts, and just write whatever comes on your mind. And the reason is, the reason why you can't sleep, if your brain is thinking, is your mind is, is worried that you're going to forget it in the morning. But once you write all those things down, your brain's like, wow. It's there to look at at 7 o'clock in the morning. The last thing, we have people that have tight neck, tight shoulders. We use an acupressure mat to help them relax. Those are three of my biohacks that, that we have great results with. Because when you optimize your sleep, you're actually going to have better workouts and better work. Jumping from there, I, you know, I think one thing we want to talk about, given current environment, is you know, we just heard from Governor DeWine today that, hey, May 1st is the target date for opening up, uh, at least some businesses, maybe not everybody. But as we start to transition and, and move into, I guess, phase, would you call it phase two or phase three of this, which is learning to thrive, coming back, opening up work, what should entrepreneurs, businesses, individuals be thinking about as we get back to quote-unquote, normal. So this goes back to when I was doing hospital medicine. So right now, we're all sheltering home, most of us. And so therefore then, we are doing like almost zero outside the house. And because of that, if you jump right back into full-time, 100%, it's not going to go well. Same thing when, when someone gets hospitalized. I don't have them the next day. I would say, don't go back to work the next day. We, we have them do 10% more each day. So about in 10 days, they're back to 100%. Because our body's just not used to one month off and then jumping right into 100%. So that's number one. Take it take step by step. Number two is um, I think that the mask and gloves are good to do. I've got my mask and my coat. I've got gloves there. Just the basic stuff. I probably wouldn't be the first one to a restaurant or the first one anywhere, right? I'm going to see how things go few days, etc. So like I'm never the first one to start a, a new medication because you know you, you I don't know if you guys remember Vioxx their medications, brand new medication, one year later it's off the market because it's causing all these heart attacks. I take it step by step and also see how you feel. It's an iterative process, you know, and and I think that the six feet distance makes a lot of sense. Do I think restaurants are great? Yes. Do I think the basic stuff is all awesome? I do. Just do it in a sensible way. I mean, you know, that's all we can do, right? Be sensible, <laughs> use common sense, keep doing the things that uh, are going to help keep the curve down. But uh, I think good place, Dr. Gnodi, to go towards you know, one of our last questions of the show, unless, Josh, you got anything else you want to add before we go there? I wouldn't mind talking a little bit about, you know, your medical practice based yeah. here in Central Ohio. And uh, if you could touch a little bit about how the crisis is being handled from a medical perspective, uh, particularly as it relates here in Columbus. Yeah, you know, from my practice, since we do the conventional medicine plus functional medicine, a lot of people are, are wanting to boost up their immune system. So some of the things we talked about here, there is many more things that people can do. So that's number one, is a personalized approach to immune system. So your approach, Josh, will be different than your approach, right? I'd probably work on your sleep. But, but, but let's say that your sleep is good, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd work on something else for him. Other things are there's innovative things that we're doing. So we're doing like high, high dose vitamin C's, ozone, just really things to boost up the immune system above and beyond just the basics. And that's been so rewarding to help these people 
uh, on the more innovative side, the more cutting edge side of things that we're seeing out of Italy or seeing in Europe. How do we use those things? But it's been really rewarding to help people who are saying, yes, I want something more than hand washing. I want something more than physical distancing. And then we're also doing lab tests for our people's immune system. It's even further, further personalized things. Dr. Kenodia, I think, again, like I mentioned, a good place to pivot towards our last question of sure. the show. It's, it's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. Yeah. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, sure. what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? For me, living uncomfortably means that how do I not live in stress? With everything going on, how do I stay at peace? How do I get back to that baseline? That's what living uncomfortably is for me. I wrote on, I'm an adrenaline junkie. That's me. So I'm, I'm learning how to, how to not be an adrenaline junkie. Dr. Kennedy, thanks so much for coming in, telling Absolutely. your story, talking more about, yeah. uh, you know, supplements and everything you're doing at, uh, you know, at your, uh, I'm forgetting what you call a doctor's office. That's the word I was looking for at your office. And, um, but uh, again, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. You're, you're quite welcome. I'm going to add one more thing. Okay. When we're talking about this phase two, or mm -hmm. reintegration. Since most of the people here are, are entrepreneurs, I would say that how things were before may not be the same when we reintegrate, meaning that our business models, my own business, right? I'm a business owner. Whether we call me an entrepreneur or not, irrelevant. My, we are looking to, we're having a four hour strategic planning meeting tomorrow. We had a one-year plan, yada, yada. We're changing possibly all of it. So that's what I, I would give people from the business perspective. Things may not be the same. So consider pivoting as much as you need to if you're an entrepreneur. Great advice. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Appreciate all your support. Talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.